Talk Recorded live. Hello again, everybody, and thank you for joining me, your host, Pastor Visser, live on the Talk Shoe Radio Network for yet another Wednesday night Bible study. And indeed, this particular Wednesday, I felt the need to take a look at Yahshua Messiah's most awesome parable of the tares. Referenced many times within Christian identity, at least, as the parable of the tares and the wheat. And this particular parable has the distinction, much in the same manner as Yahshua's parable of the candle and his parable of the sower, of Jesus Christ himself providing the explanation to it. And so, this particular study, I'll invite you to pay close attention Because it is in this particular parable of the tares where Yahshua straightforwardly teaches us that the devil has children, he has progeny, and they are still a prick in our side to this day. But before we actually get to tonight's subject matter, I want to give a few thank yous to the men, women, and children who have made my preaching possible, and that is through their active supports, their forum posts, and their financial ties. First, I'd like to thank my brother in Terre Haute, Indiana. We have a sister who wrote this month from Farmington, Missouri. We also have a dear brother in Linwood, Michigan. I'd like to thank my good friend Pat in Canyon City, Colorado. And uh, for anybody who may be interested uh, in writing Pat, he's incarcerated, unfortunately, but remember those that are in bonds, because not only has Pat written me from Canyon City, Colorado, but also Brent has written from Florence, Arizona, and both of them require uh, pen pals, if you will. So if you're interested in writing a fellow Christian identist in bonds, contact this ministry and we will forward your address to these particular individuals. I'd also like to thank my friend in Grass Valley, California, my dear sister in Orem, Utah, my good dear brother in Kettering, Ohio, and also my brother who's been missing in action for over two years, who used to be the moderator of our particular forums, accessible on the World Wide Web at covenantpeoplesministry.org, but that would be Dave, also known as Archtype, who sends his support from Ottawa, Illinois. And finally, a new member to our fold, our good friend in Odessa, Texas, who remembered not only yours truly, but also my children this Christmas season. And so a big thank you to each and every one of those. And I also would like to point out that if I've forgotten anybody who has sent support or emails of encouragement, I do apologize And I will get to that on our next broadcast. But Yahshua spoke over 30 parables that are found mostly in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John, being the odd gospel, usually loves portraying the aspect of Yahshua Messiah's deity being God in flesh form. And thus it begins on that premise. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But in dealing tonight in Yahshua's parable of the tares, I feel it fitting that we turn to the gospel according to St. Thomas to begin. And this is considered apocryphal, 
So naturally you will not have this in your authorized King James Version of the Bible. But it is here where we find a rendering of Yahshua's parable of the tares. It is found in the 57th statement of Thomas, and it says as such, quote, actually I've lost my place, let me turn back. Yahshua said, the kingdom of the Father is like a man who had good seed. His enemy came by night. He sowed a weed among the good seed. The man did not permit them, that is, the workers, to pull up the weed. He said to them, lest perhaps you go to pull up the weed and pull up the wheat with it. For on the day of harvest the weeds will appear, and they, meaning the workers, will pull them and burn them. Now that is Thomas's 57th saying, according to the Gospel, according to Thomas. And me and Pastor Bill DeClue of Covenant People's Ministry both have preached this in the past, I believe about 2013 or 2012. It was I and Pastor Bill DeClue who brought the entire text of the Gospel of St. Thomas. So if you're interested in Thomas's teachings, be, be sure to look that up at the Covenant People's Ministry website. But notice here, Thomas gives us a straightforward parable, and this is his interpretation of the words of our Redeemer. Naturally, this is the same exact Thomas who said, I will not believe that Joshua Messiah lives again post-crucifixion, that is, unless I put my finger within the very wound in his side. And so it was this very Thomas who had the grand epiphany and revelation that Joshua Messiah was God, quote-unquote. He is known elsewhere in our canonized scripture as Doubting Thomas. And indeed, each and every one of us throughout our Christian walk will doubt particular dogmas that are found within Scripture. And this particular parable of the tares and the wheat is no different. And hear me, dear kinsfolk, because your average Christian will come in, and even though Christ himself defines this parable and tells us who the good seed are and the bad seed are, are, you will find your modern Christian come and fight tooth and nail, arguing and defending what they believe within their own heart, what I like to consider delusions, because they come in and say, well, Yahshua never taught that the devil had children, but you will see tonight that that is simply not the case. Let's analyze Thomas saying here, Yahshua's 57th statement according to the Gospel of Thomas, and he said the kingdom of the Father is like a man who had good seed. Why would he say this? Because many times Yahshua would say the kingdom of heaven is likened unto this. For example, a woman who took leaven and put it within three measures of meal. The kingdom of heaven is like this. So, understand that a parable is an allegory, but... When Yahshua explains that particular parable, there's very little wiggle room in inserting our own private interpretation into it. So the context is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of the Father, Yahweh. And this kingdom, according to Yahshua, is equated to a man who had good seed. And an enemy came by night... <laughs> Not surprising, because this is the way the forces of darkness usually work, under cover of night. Read Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. 
But the wicked don't like light shone upon their evil deeds. That's exactly what happens here. An enemy, or one could say an adversary, a sahaton, came by night and sowed a weed among the good seed. That is the differentiation between wheat and tares. What is a tear? In its most simplistic term, it is a weed that looks identical to wheat. Thus, if it is planted in a wheat field, it will grow up looking identical to the wheat. The only way to tell a tear, however, is at the time of harvest. And the way we can tell a tear is because their heads will shoot up above the granules of wheat. Therefore, we can designate what is a tear or a weed and what is wheat and or good seed. But the thing we should take from Thomas's take here is the fact that an enemy came in the still of the night and that enemy did what? He sowed a weed amongst the good seed. And the man did not permit his workers to pull up the weed, but rather said, lest perhaps you go and pull up the weed and pull up the wheat with it. What is the analogy here? Well, on its face, you can look at it as agricultural teaching. Common sense is a man does not want to lose his valuable crop of wheat because there are tares sown in amongst them. So naturally, what a man will do will wait until the time of a harvest, and then he will pull out all of those tares, bundle them, and usually burn them so that their seeds do not infect their plot the following year. So the workers or the angels were told, do not harvest. Why? Because vengeance is Yahweh God's. And time and time again, you will hear men tell you, pick up arms, go and pull up those tares yourself. But hearken, dear kinsfolk, we and the angels of Yahweh God are instructed not to. Because this, dear friends, is fulfillment of Obadiah 118, where those tares are ultimately burned as the rudiments they are. But it is not you and I who do this. So let's continue Thomas's narrative. For the day of harvest the weeds will appear, and they, not you, Israelite, they, the workers, who? Angelos, will pull them and burn them. And thus it stands. This is Thomas' very abbreviated take on Yahshua's parable of the tares. And for the most part, it is taught in a simplistic manner, meaning that if we have a crop, you protect that crop. And you do not pull up the entire crop because of a few weeds. In short, we do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Now, this should be common sense, but unfortunately, many people do that. For example, they'll say, well, Judeo-Christianity has nothing to teach me. Oh, really? <sighs> Dear kinsfolk, please turn with me to the Gospel of St. Matthew, because it is here where we find the most popular interpretation of Yahshua's parable of the tares. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, so please turn there now. Now, we already covered Thomas's 57th saying, at least that saying that is attributed to Yahshua. And Yahshua straightforwardly says that the kingdom of heaven is equated to what? This, this parable that he gave. A man who took good seed, correct? So in Matthew chapter 13, 
you'll see that Yahshua teaches very similarly. And this year, I intend, or at least it is my intention, on covering all of the parables of Yahshua Messiah, including the parable of the talent, which is so abused within Christian identity. Luke chapter 19, verse 27, mine enemies, that should not, that I should reign over them, bring them thither, and slay them before me indeed. It is so interesting to me how people, men, women, children, love taking that one verse out of context, no different than a Judeo-Christian, but never attribute the other acts of the unjust steward to Yahweh God. Does Yahweh God condone usury? Does he allow it? Of course not. Does Yahweh God sow where he does not reap, or pluck where he does not sow? Well, of course not. Thus it stands to reason. But we're going to get to that before the year concludes. That is the parable of the talents. But right now we're dealing with the parable of the tares, and it is found in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 13. And it begins in verse 24. But before we actually get to this, allow me to point out that this parable of the tares and the wheat is a separate parable, very different than the parable of the sower, albeit the parable of the sower is given in the same exact chapter. So understand that they do tie together. Yahshua explains this very shortly, but beginning in verse 24, King James transliteration, we read, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat, and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? Question. From whence? Hath it tares? Another question. He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou go that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root also up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. And so it stands. That is the parable of the tares, according to St. Matthew chapter 13. And there's so much that can be taught here. But before we go deeper into this, let's point out the similarities. Because... Thomas says, the kingdom of what? The kingdom of the Father is likened unto this. Matthew says, well, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto this. Same exact analogy. The kingdom of Yahweh is the king and his dominion. Thus, the kingdom. So the kingdom is wherever Yahweh dwells. And it is equated to this. It is likened unto a man which sowed good seed into his field. Now, I want to point out right here that every single time here in Matthew and in the Gospel of St. Thomas, you read this word, seed, it is taken from the Greek word sperma. It is found in any average concordance as number 4690 
in the Greek dictionary. Again, seed equates to sperma, and it is defined as, quote, seed, specifically man's semen, end quote. Now, once again, we're dealing with something that a majority of the world will not want to believe. But understand it. When Yahshua is saying right here, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. He is saying the kingdom of Yahweh God is attributed to a man who sowed good sperma. So who do you think those good seed are? And I also want to point out that in Hebrew, irregardless of what translation you read, when you read seed in the Hebrew, it equates to the same exact terminology, albeit not Greek, but it means progeny, offspring, or race. So, on its face, we are dealing with agricultural seed, grains of tares or weed seed, and also dealing with the seeds of wheat. But, all, but and it's deeper meaning, Yahshua is saying straightforwardly, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man. Who is that? Yahweh God, naturally. And what did he do? He sowed good seed in his field. What is the field? Well, we're going to get to that. But continuing on, while men slept, his enemy, notice, not a enemy, not an enemy, but his personal enemy. Thus, we understand the terminology of Sahat or Satan, Hasatan, meaning archenemy of good, specifically an adversary of God. His enemy, the enemy of Yahweh, came and sowed tares amongst the wheat. And he went his way. Well, how could he go his own way if not reading about this in the very first chapter of Job, where Satan was walking to and fro upon the face of the earth and granted permission to do as such. So, while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares amongst the wheat. But understand also, while men sleep in this latter era of 2016, so also the enemy will be out there sowing their tares and their seeds of mischief and coming in and trying to tell you that a majority of what's written in Scripture is not confirmable. But I've given you three specific facts already. Look deeper into the word seed. See what the terminology of it means. While men slept, Satan came and sowed tares amongst the wheat. Verse 26, But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then also appeared the tares also. Well, that's common sense, because I already partially explained the process of tares and wheat, and how identical they actually look. But they do look identical, and judgment is left to Yahweh God, is it not? And that is why it is forbidden for you and I to go and tear up those tares. The reapers are sent, correct? Yahshua says it. Next verse. So the servants of the household came and said, Sir, did you not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then has it tares? A simple question. If you sowed good seed within your field, then where on earth did these tares come from? How is that even possible? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants say, Wilt thou go then that we gather them up? But he, Yahweh, said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up the wheat also with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. What is the harvest? The end of the world, quote-unquote, according to Yahshua, or the end of this eon, age. 
And thus, we are commanded to not uproot tares within the field, which is what? God's green earth. But it does not stop men from coming in, taking one verse out of context, and attempting to get other men and women to go and uproot them tares themselves. I wonder why. Could it have something to do with the fact that they're false? They don't understand the Word of God? And the Word of God clearly tells us what? That there are good seed and there are bad seed. Verse 29. Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together. Why? Because the reapers will gather first the tares, bind them in bundles, and will burn them. So, this is one Exactly. This is uh, excuse me. What? Okay. All right. Yeah, dear kinsfolk. If there's any questions, also feel free to post them in the chat room, and I will get to them in about 20 minutes when this broadcast concludes. But in the parable of the sower, same exact reason here is given as to why this must be. For example, at the beginning of chapter 13, Christ gives his reasons for speaking in parables. The disciples came, and they say, Why speak thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For, so, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he hath more in abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that that he hath. Therefore, Christ says, speak I unto them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. Where is this written? This is written in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Christ came in fulfillment of that prophecy. And what is so ironic is that a majority of Judeo-Christians do not understand that the very reason Christ taught in parables was not so you could come in and insert your own private interpretation and say, I feel within my heart it means this. It's so that those who are blinded cannot see. And it was in fulfillment of a prophecy given by Isaiah, a prophet to Israel. That is the very reason he spoke in parables, so the entire world would not understand. So, count it as a great glory if you are able to understand. The parable of the sower is explained. Right before we started the second mystery here in Matthew chapter 13, at least spoken by Yahshua. That's why it begins in verse 24 with another parable he put forth unto them. So this is the second of two parables. And I'll cover the parable of the sower in its entirety. But roll back several verses to verse 18 in St. Matthew chapter 13. Christ says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. This is his explanation. And the parable of the tares is part of the parable of the sower, even though they are separate. But the analogy still applies. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understands it not. Then cometh the wicked one, and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received good seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed in the stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and, and on with joy receiveth it. 
but it does not have root within him. So, continuing that narrative, understand Christ is talking about the different types of seed. This type of seed lands in good soil. This type of seed lands in rocky soil. This type of seed lands in thorny soil. And this type of seed is differentiated from all those others. Why? Because it is a tear, a weed, good for nothing. So consider that and remember that. Tears, wheat. Now, if we skip forward to verse 36, it is here where Yahshua gives an explanation. And I want you to pay close attention to this. Because man does not live on bread alone, correct? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Christ. And one cannot profess to be a Christian if we outwardly deny the things that our Redeemer spoke, correct? Verse 36 in St. Matthew chapter 13. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. So understand what's being said here. This is in private. He spoke in parables, and why did he speak in parables? We already covered that. So that in hearing, they will not understand. In fulfillment of a prophecy that Isaiah gave thousands of years before. But now that Yahshua is in private with his disciples, they come to him and say, Will you explain this very complex parable of the tares and the wheat? And understand, these men spoke Aramaic, for the most part, which is a guttural mix between Hebrew and Greek. So when Christ said a man sowed bad sperma, or good sperma, they should have understood exactly what was meant. But if you do not believe the Hebraic definition, or at least the Grecian definition of the word sperma, which is where we derive our modern-day terminology of sperm from, then pay close attention. He sends his disciples away. They say, or he sends the masses away, and the disciples say, Declare unto us the parable of the tears of the field. Verse 37. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed, or sperm, is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now, stopping right there before we even complete his uh, explanation of this parable, he's straightforwardly telling you, the field is the world. Therefore, you cannot insert Japan or Asia or Africa. He's also saying, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. Therefore, you can't insert your own private interpretation and say it's whosoever believeth, or a metaphorical seed, or a literal seed, can you? Because this is his answer. He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. Who's that? Yahshua himself. And I think he would know better than man. The field is the world, however. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Quote-unquote, Christ just told you, that there are children of the wicked one. And if I wanted to, I could divulge deeper into the terminology of of, because in Greek it means XX, it denotes origin. When Christ is saying children of the wicked one, he is literally saying children who are born of that wicked one. 
The field is the world, the children is the kingdom, the tares are the children of the wicked one. And, verse 39, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Well, that should be common sense, correct? It is Yahweh God who sends his four corners from the four, or his four angels from the four corners of the earth, north, west, east, south, to gather up all things that offend, correct? To burn them. In fulfillment of Obadiah 1.18, right? Here's the explanation. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, period. Don't allow a man to come in and say, oh, it's a proverbial Jew. Oh, it's just an adversary. The devil, not a devil, the devil, singular. Look it up. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. Therefore, the children of the wicked one, also known as tares, are who? Right, children of the devil. Continuing on in verse 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. And indeed it shall be. In your free time, read Isaiah chapter 33, verse 12 to confirm this. But Christ continues. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of the kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears. Let him hear. Boy, I love that statement. Because, understand, we just covered it right here from Matthew chapter 13. The very reason Christ spoke in parables was in fulfillment of that prophecy. That not everyone would have ears to hear and eyes to see. And we've proven from my sermon, Parable of the Candle, that only Yahshua can shine light, meaning give a particular person eyes to see or ears to hear. So do you see it? No matter how many times people will read St. Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 through 43, they will come away from an interpretation or their own private belief that is different and contradicts what Yahshua taught. So let me make several points. Number one, Christ taught there were a literal children of the wicked one, also known as tares, and the devil had seed, according to his own parable of the tares and wheat. Number two is no Israelite, and not even the angels themselves, are instructed to gather up any of those tares, to do harm unto them no more than they could Cain, who had a mark placed on him all the way in the beginning, because it is the will of God to burn them up, and also it is the way of man to destroy the wheat in the process of trying to purge the tares. This is why judgment is Yahweh God's, and we wait for his particular judgment. It is righteous. The way of man is to judge amiss, and that is why we are commanded to never judge, period. And so, as it stands, we covered several statements here that all prove straightforwardly that Christ taught there were little children of the devil. Correct? Now, if I can find my notes, we're going to continue on here. But there's much more that can be said in the vein of all of this. And... Uh, Actually, that's a good question. Uh, we may open up this particular broadcast uh, to receive phone calls in the near future. That is a possibility. Really, since Obadiah uh, disappeared, I haven't been using the TalkShoe radio network. And as a result, I, I don't know. It's good. It's handy for particular things like this. 
But let's get back, if you will, to Thomas's gospel, because it's here, once again. I don't know where my notes went. I apologize for that. But in uh, 56, the kingdom of Father is like a man who had good seed. Are you a good seed? And perhaps you've heard this terminology before, because many of us who have children are able to recognize, at least within our own that oftentimes some are good seed, some are bad seed, but that's just the way of it. Now, what we've established already is that Christ Yahshua Messiah taught that the kingdom of God is equated to this, a world in which God put good seed, but an enemy came, and an enemy sowed tares in amongst them and went his way quite interesting choice of words, because it is John, considered one of the most beloved and sweetest of all the disciples, who writes in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 12, he reminds us, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Interesting statement, right? King James renders that as, not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So, pretty interesting, is it not? Because here John is saying, Cain is of, XX, denoting origin, the wicked one. What did Christ say the the tares were in the parable of the tares and the wheat? Well, let's turn back there very briefly and look. Christ said, in his explanation, the tares are the children of the wicked one. Where is that found? That's found in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, excuse me. So when we understand that concept, there's my notes, I found them good. Now we can get back on that. <laughs> so you understand this concept, because this is the way it works. Straightforwardly, right here, here's his explanation. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. John reminds us to not be like Cain. Why? Because he was of that wicked one. What can we logically deduct? Cain was born of the wicked one. Cain is a tear, correct? Well, that should be common sense. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and see what really transpired here. And what use of words that Yahweh God uses in his punishment and his curses that are laid on the three heads. For example, Genesis chapter 3. Verse 15, Yahweh God speaking, this is the curse placed upon Satan himself, correct? And Satan was the enemy, also known as the devil, who sowed those tares, right? Yahweh says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Very interesting choice of usage of a word seed, Correct? Because once again, I already proved that in Hebrew, it means the same thing as it does in the Greek, which is sperm. It means progeny. 
It means offspring. And this is the reason why Abraham was promised that in him, his seed shall be as numerous as the dust of the earth. Everything pertains to the seed. Everything boils down to seed line. And more specifically, dual seed line. There are two specific seeds. The children of the devil and the children of Yahweh God. The children of the devil are tares, weeds, good for nothing, and will ultimately be burned. The children of Yahweh God, however, are good seed, good sperma. This is why they who are of Yahweh God sin not, and their seed remaineth within them. But also notice that the curse placed upon Satan is that there will be hatred, enmity between these two seeds. And where is the battlefield? But the field, quote-unquote, the world. Therefore, down here within the kingdom of Yahweh God, there are two seeds, correct? Dual seed line. The seed of Yahweh and the seed of the adulterer, the fornicator, and the whore. And I can most assuredly prove that if you turn with me to the gospel according to St. John. And you may remember at the beginning of this broadcast, I said John does not have any parables within itself. And for the most part, that is true. However, John provides us the most valuable second witness in many occasions. For example, in the parable of the candle, when Yahshua says, hey, you are the light of the world, or a man does not light a candle and stick it under a bed, we must turn to John to understand who that light is. Because it is in John where Yahshua says, I am the light of the world. So we prove that John himself said that Cain was born of the wicked one, in his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 12, correct? So here, in St. John, chapter 8, it is here where Yahshua deals with the Pharisees, also known as Jews, in context. And these unbelieving Jews were even assured, much after the same matter as Cain, if you do well, will it not be well with you? But they could not. So pay close attention. John, chapter 8, verse 41. Here, we're dealing with the Jewish claims of being the children of God. But what is the parable of the tares and the wheat but dealing with seed? Yahweh's children are the good seed, correct? The devil's children are considered bastards or children of adultery and fornication. Christ says in John chapter 8, verse 41, to the Jews, you do the deeds of your father. Then they say unto him, we be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Why would they say that? Because they believed that Christ was born of fornication. That is why, and it is still taught today in their Talmud, that Yahshua Messiah is a bastard born of adultery, quote-unquote. That's what they believe, and not only that, understood the concept of fornication. When Christ says, you have your father the devil, notice the first thing the Jews say is, we're not born of fornication. What can we deduct? Cain was born of fornication, as per the mouth of the Bible itself. Christ says, you do the deeds of your father, lowercase. Then they say unto him, we be not born of fornication, we have one father, even God. Next verse, verse 42. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Pay close attention, verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. Interesting, is it not? Time and time again, when Yahshua would teach a parable, he would say, let him who have ears hear. Here he's telling the Jews who can't hear. That's why my word has no place within you. 
Why? Because they are of their father. Lowercase, correct? Verse 41, but let's keep reading. Verse 44, Christ continues. You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Stopping right there. That's why I took you back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. To the world's first murderer, who was Cain, and Cain was, according to John, born of the wicked one. Thus Christ is telling these Jews they are born of the wicked one, correct? First, in verse 41, you do the deeds of your lowercase father. Second, in verse 44, year of your father, the devil. Now, according to Matthew chapter 13, who sowed those tares? From the mouth of Yahshua, the devil. What is Yahshua telling the Jews? Their tares. And their weak response is that we're not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Christ says, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Understand that concept. They understand the lies. In fact, they accept the lie as truth. Therefore, like Peter says in his second epistle, chapter 2, the way of truth is evil spoken of. So when you come and you say, hey, you know what? Yahshua Messiah clearly taught that the devil had children. They're considered the children of the wicked one. That he told the Jews in John chapter 8 that you do the deeds of that father. You are of your father, the devil, denoting origin. They'll come in and say, hey, that's a false prophet. Now do you understand why judgment is left to Yahweh God? Because if it was not, a majority of your so-called Judeo-Christians would be rooting up the wheat company alongside what they deem as tares before the harvest. That's the point. Only Yahweh God knows when that harvest is, and only Yahweh God knows who is acceptable and who is not for his ever-loving kingdom. And so he has to explain this. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning, Cain, Satan. He abode not in the truth. Why? Because there is no truth in him. So, when Satan comes and says, you know what, the Jews being the Christ killer, and right here, according to John chapter 8, are considered the children of the devil from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, they'll come in and say, oh, that couldn't be. So, understand, Christ is giving his explanation, and he continues. Verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Understand the terminology? Who sowed the good seed? Yahweh. Christ explains that. Christ also tells the Jews they are not good seed. He tells them more specifically they are of their father, the devil. Thus they are tares, because the devil planted those tares all the way back in the beginning. And so... Two more verses before I conclude this particular evening. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 2. And I briefly touched upon this, but I feel it's very important. Because almost every time a promise is made with a patriarch in the Old Testament, it pertains unto seed time and time again. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, and this isn't a covenant, this is straightforwardly teaching. 
and every plant of the field before it was on the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For Yahweh God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, because there was not a man to till the ground. So, what's being said here? That Yahweh God created all of these seeds. And at first glance, that would appear to contradict the teachings of Christ, would it not? But remember where it is we are. We're in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. And if you rewind it, we're told, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth, or the genealogy, the genios of the heavens and the earth, in the day that they were created. Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. So, your average flippant weekend Christian could come in right about here and say, I can argue right there, because see, it proves Yahweh God created every seed. But notice, this is before Genesis chapter 3, and before that serpent, who was more subtle than any beast of the field, came and seduced Eve. And thus is the terminology, dual seed line. But I do not want to leave you with desperation in your heart, if you will. I want to leave you with hope. So while we're here in Matthew, we're going to turn a few chapters over to chapter 15. And I want you to pay close attention to this because it ties it all together, I believe. And continuing in verse 13 of St. Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to go ahead and check right about here while I'm looking these notes up and see if there's any further questions in the chat room. And again, I do want to thank each and every one of you for supporting this ministry because we've been having a hard time of it, man. I'm not kidding you. Matthew chapter 15, verse 13. Yeah, I was right. Matthew chapter 15, verse 13. Duh. Okay, dear kinsfolk, Matthew chapter 15, verse 13. We'll start at 10. He called unto the multitude, and he said unto them, Hear and understand. So he's telling you, Hear. Do you have ears to hear? Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that defileth the man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be the blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Number one, who are the tares? The pharisaical Jew. In context, in numerous places throughout Scripture. Number two, did Yahweh God plant all the plants? Initially he did. But an enemy hath done this, correct? And Yahshua says that there are bad seed, known as tares. Yahshua also pinned and uh, at least targeted the Jews in John chapter 8, who, I might add at the beginning, were wanting to take a woman taken in adultery and put her to death. And here comes Yahshua and tells them straightforwardly, you are born of your father, the devil. John, the most beloved disciple of all, said that Cain was born of that wicked one. 
So did Yahweh God err in judgment that the firstborn son of the original parents of all just so happened to have murderous intentions within his heart? Or could it be exactly what Yahshua taught, that an enemy came and sowed bad seed amongst the good seed? And we can read about that plain as day between Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 4. And we can also see an attack on that seed line from these children of the wicked one, quote-unquote, also known as the children of Belial, the children of Belial, the children of Astaroth, the, the uh, daughters and prostitutes of Astarte in Scripture, and many other titles. But they are not from us. And remember, take heed and at least stock in that. Understand that every plant that Yahshua's Heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Which brings me to the third point. There are plants that are not planted of God. And while the Judeo-Christians will come in and say, we're all born of God, we all bleed red, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ's way, the irony is they went out from us because they are not from amongst us. And I do not know how much clearer the Bible can be in teaching that there are two distinct seed lines. And there is a hatred, an enmity, a variance between those two seed lines and has been since the Garden of Eden and will exist until the ultimate fulfillment of Obadiah chapter 1 verse 18, which is the great and terrible day of Yahweh. So it's coming, dear kinsfolk. All I know about 2016 is that I'm 100% positive that this year will be worse than last year. And being about 11 days into it, we can already see straightforwardly that that is the case. So in Thomas's gospel, Thomas gives us a straightforward version of the parable. And notice that right before that, in statement 56, Yahshua said, Whoever has known the world has found a corpse, and whoever has found a corpse of him, the world is not worthy. Now, I've taught on that in its entirety before, but the context of it is the world. And Yahshua, in Thomas's Gospel, equates the world to a corpse, a dying world, and thus it has been. When Yahweh God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, he held our hand. He walked with Enoch and took him, for he was not, correct? Yahweh walked with Abel, but Yahweh did not walk with Cain. Yahweh put a mark upon Cain and told every descendant of the Adamites not to touch him, unless a curse be brought on their head. Why? The same exact reason Christ told the Jews in John chapter 8, if you do well, it shall go good with you. But they can't do well. That's the point. That opening of grace is even extended unto the devil's children, and they will not take it. Bottom line, Christ knows it, Christ taught it, Yahshua said it. They will not take it. So the world is a corpse, and we're going to continue to spiral into death. My advice for 2016 is stay strong with the word. Recognize that there are children of the wicked one, called tares, called Jews, and while everything down here on God's green earth is usually 180 degrees opposite of what the Scripture teaches, the burden of proof lies on you. I read nowhere in judgment, or in the Scripture anyway, where in judgment you can blame Billy Graham or a particular individual or Rabbi Fink for what you accept as false. 
The word of God trumps each and every one, and this is why I said at the beginning of this broadcast, I will address Luke chapter 19, verse 27, and put it in context, because we're told right here not to uproot those tares. Why? The same exact reason. Once again, Cain had the mark. If you do it, you bring a curse upon yourself. Vengeance is Yahweh God's. Don't forget it. We have the devil's children amongst us. That's a given. But also, remember, there are many men and women out there who give the Jew the power of a God. And I'm not kidding, dear kinfolk. I don't know how many times I can listen to these men and women talk on the radio, whining and bitching and kvetching and blaming the Jew, giving the Jew a power of God. And then people sit and scratch their head and wonder why they're an agent provocateur. Is Yahweh God in control of all things or not? If you understand that he is, then those who sit around saying that the Jew has the power to do all this horrible stuff are the ones making the Jews their own gods anyway. We have the power over the serpent. We have the power over the scorpion. And no matter how much they try to keep you gridlocked in fear so you sound like a bunch of whiny faggots crying and complaining the Jew and blaming the Jew for every one of our own inadequacies, it does not fly. We cannot empower the devil's children. And by that I mean don't give them the power that Yahweh God possesses. The Jew is merely the symptom of our own sin. So we can go around and blame the Jew all you want, but we brought it in. And unless we repent and get right with Yahweh God, he will not purge our land. And that's how I can make that statement. I believe we live in an era now where we're looking forward to the fulfillment of Obadiah chapter 1. The fulfillment of all these tares being gathered by the quote-unquote reapers, also known as angels. And I don't know where one of these single seed line fools could take this and spiritualize it away, but we're dealing with literal sperm, literal seed, literal offspring, so much so that the word used in Genesis 3.15 for seed is the same exact word that is used when the promise to Abraham is made, that in their seed, in his seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Do we find that in the devil's children? Of course not. And so until next time, dear kinsfolk, I'd like to thank each and every one of you for your support. I gave a partial list at the very beginning. If I happen to go off the air for a few weeks, do not fret. It is only because of financial difficulties, and I will be back after March once we file our taxes. Gotta love Uncle Scam. And so until next time, this is Pastor Visser from the heart of the Dirty South, also known as Brooks, Georgia hoping that this particular study in the parable of the tares has edified your Christian walk, or at least given you an idea of a few places to look to see that Satan and Yahweh have literal children on earth. Until next time, this is Pastor Visser, War for Christ. Amen.